For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Welcome, Browns backers. I'm Chuck Campisi, joined by Tony Dick, and this is Believe in the Browns. We're brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Today, we're doing an autopsy on the Browns game against the Pats and a look ahead to the matchup in Denver this weekend. We'll also be chatting a little bit about the NCAA and their potential new policy. Tony, we know it wasn't pretty, but hey, head coach Freddie Kitchen said he had a lot of confidence going into this game, and he has a lot of confidence coming out of this game because he knows why we lost the game. Penalties and turnovers. Simple stuff. Now that that's out of the way, how about Denver? <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, uh, before we get started here, I left last week feeling like maybe I had beat the team up a little bit more than they deserved, and then... Um, you know, immediately after the game, it, it, it entered, the thought entered my head that I, I probably wasn't rough enough. Wait, wait, uh, after the game? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well <laughs> it took after, all 60 minutes? Yeah, for the first eight minutes. Well, um, I just, I have no, I, I, you know, uh, I have no idea where we're going. And, and I know this is, uh, I'm starting to sound like Freddie Kitchens, right? I'm saying the same thing every week, um, and it's, it's not, nothing's changing. Um, that's that's kind of how I feel uh, as a fan. I mean, we... What we're seeing here is exactly what we've been saying for the last couple weeks. You have a team that has talent. I mean, clearly there's talent on this team. But we do not have someone steering the ship that knows what they're doing. And I, I guess there, there's a couple different options, right? We can, we can leave Freddie in place. We can let him learn from his mistakes. Uh, we can hope that uh, eventually he becomes the coach we want him to be or we thought he could be. I, in my heart of hearts, do not believe that this is the right guy. And I guess the question I would pose to anyone um, on the, you know, that's talking about this topic is, when do we cut bait on this guy? And I know, I know the mantra around here is, we can't keep changing, we can't keep changing. But I, th I think we have to address the, the coach the same way we address the quarterback. To me, you keep trying quarterbacks until you get the right quarterback. And, and we can talk about this a little bit later. I, I honestly believe uh, we probably, with this upcoming draft, we should be, now obviously not a first-round quarterback, but we need to start looking for other options. But, but if you're not taking a first-round quarterback, are you really taking a quarterback? I mean, what's your percentage of hit rate outside of the first round? 
and outside of the top 15, 16 picks, right? So so if you're saying we're not going to take a first-round quarterback, then are you really playing the quarterback game? Well, I, I think if you were any other team, unfortunately with this team, I feel like we still have a lot of huge glaring holes that we almost have to take best player. And if I'm not, I'm not sure where we're going to draft at right now. Um, looks looks like it's going to be a pretty good pick. I, I just I don't know. I feel like at this point we need to take best player, but we do need to have quarterbacks listed on our board because I'm not really sold with Baker Mayfield. And, and I guess people could say, well, we don't really know what you have because we don't have a line. And or if you're saying we don't have a head coach, is coach quality then playing a role in performance quality? Uh, well, it's hard to tell, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, all I know is I, I know one thing for sure. Uh, it's a mess. It's a mess. And, and like you alluded to earlier, you've got a coach who every week comes out and says, hey, we know what the mistakes are. They're easy fixes. We should be okay. Uh, well, then if they're easy fixes, why are we doing it every week? And if the mantra is going to be, well, hey, everybody, hold on, because we've got a bunch of teams that are losers that are on our schedule, and we're going to beat up on them, so don't worry about it. Well, if you came into this season saying you were a playoff caliber team, I got news for you. There's not going to be a 2-14 and 14 team in the Super Bowl this year. There's okay? not. No. no. Ah, damn it. I thought this was the year. I thought this was the year. So if, if, you're, if your goal, if your intentions is to become a, a playoff team, you can't you can't say, well, hey, we're only we were only planning on beating the two and fourteen teams this year, anyhow. It's everyone else's expectations that were out of control, not ours. Well, and it's really funny, right? Because people are talking about Denver has as many wins as the Browns. Mm -hmm. The Steelers have more wins mm -hmm. than the Browns, right? So yeah, okay, you have the you have winless teams coming up. You have three games against winless teams, and that you have the Bengals twice, and you have the Dolphins. But the Bills have significantly more wins than the Browns. So then three of your games are against teams that have as good or better records than well, you do. I think probably the biggest belly laugh I've had in the last two weeks is when I listen to talk radio and... Um, hey, hey, hey. Well, when, when, I, when I listen to people out in the community talking about sports, <laughs> I, I have to I have to giggle when I hear people say, hey, man, we got we got Pittsburgh coming up twice. That's two wins right there. When is the last time that this team beat Pittsburgh twice in one season? When's the last time this team beat Pittsburgh twice in a five-year span? What, what, was, I mean, <laughs> when was the last time a team with fewer wins said a team with well, more wins was a guaranteed win? Well, but we, we have Odell Beckham. I mean, you know, so okay. that's the uh, we do. There. We do. Maybe we he'll do. throw the ball to himself yeah. after he blocks for himself. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, and it's, and as much as Freddie Kitchen says it's simple stuff, and as much as, hey, you got to ride that Chubb train, and he did a great job for the most part on Sunday, specifically that second fumble, that's grade school level stuff where you switch the ball to your outside hand. Yeah. And that all goes back to coaching. And, you know, you know maybe the, the reason he's not being properly coached as a running back is because the running back coach is pretending like he's the head coach. I don't know. You know, it's Halloween, so I guess it's a perfect segue, right? I mean, you have a running back's coach dressed as a head coach. He's standing there with a clipboard, not knowing what he's doing. The fundamentals, I mean, that's a fundamental move. That is something that should have been learned in training camp. And when I go back to, like I said, I hate to beat up our fans, but, you know, that's been the big, you know, the, the, the 
kind of the scream that's coming out of the mouths of the Freddy supporters is, oh, I love this guy. He's old school. He's got the guys running laps in practice if they jump off sides. He's, you know, he's not taking it really, easy. A, a proven technique for <laughs> football awareness uh, increasing yeah. uh, is, is making guys run laps, especially at an elite level. Yeah, well, you know, because the million dollars in your pocket isn't enough. Um, but what, what, I don't know. So, all right. So, (laughs) so if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available on your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com. That's Believe, B-L-E-A-V.com. And at Believe Podcast, at B-L-E-A-V Podcast. So, Tony, we'll move from the disaster-esque that was Sunday, even if it wasn't as bad as either of us had anticipated from a score line, the play out was probably the, the back-to-back-to-back to back to back, uh, turnovers was probably indicative of the Browns' season up until this point. Now we do get into, and we just said, right, there's no guarantees. It is at least a softer portion of the schedule. But before we get to that, we do have the new NCAA policy where now they have a quote-unquote working group looking at potentially allowing players not to necessarily get paid but to generate income on their name image and likeness as long as it quote unquote fits with the NCAA model I don't know what that means the NCAA is not clear on that means what that means but what do you think that means and and what's your take on on this new policy well, I think it bodes well for the players because the NCAA model, as I see it, is uh, just make money at all costs. So that that works out well <laughs> for the players. Um, I've always been I've always been an advocate for um, payers being played a, a a work study wage. And what I mean by that is when a player checks in the practice, he punches in the practice as if it were a job. And, and then, you know, when practice is over, he punches out. Because, you know, really the biggest complaint I hear from folks or, or kind of the, the facade they put up there is, um, you know, there's, there's always that image of a, a child who can't afford a slice of pizza. Yet all of his friends who are on campus, they're all eating pizza. Um, because, <laughs> you know, they're making so much money uh, working on campus and doing other things. So if that's the case then let's just pay them. Let's just pay them a work-study wage. They're essentially working for the university, right? They represent the university as a member of the football team in other cities. Uh, you know, it's a great way to promote the school, great way for uh, recruitment to get kids in the campus. So pay them a wage. Pay them a work-study wage. But we all um, know why they don't want to do that, right? Because then they're responsible for any injuries and and all of that, and then you have workers' comp issues because then they become employees and universities are, are terrified of what might happen there. If you're going to look to establish a degree of fairness across the board, I would think the paying for the insurance or any of that stuff is, is gonna trump where we're headed with this because um, you know, as we discussed before we went on air here, um, I'm worried about folks like Phil Knight suddenly you, you, you've got employees of Nike making $100,000 a year, you know, because they play for the Oregon football team. I mean, that could become a powerful recruiting tool. But but, um, but why does that matter? I, I, I guess, well, it doesn't matter if you don't care about college football. What, competitive being, balance? Are you going to throw a competitive balance where, like, 20 teams in the history of college football have won a national championship? Well, I, I mean, I just feel like it's going to... I don't know. I just th- think it kills off smaller programs. I mean, wh- whether or not 20 teams have won, 
I mean, there's at least an illusion of uh, Kent State going to the national championship. Really, there. I mean, so that's the thing. If you're going to kill off these smaller, pro- are these programs really? I mean, they're hemorrhaging money for their institutions anyway. Kent State's buying tickets from their own, <laughs> well, yeah, because they can't fill the stadium to meet the NCAA Division One requirement. Yeah. So I mean, their athletic department's yeah. already underwater. So is it bad if those programs, quote unquote, go away? I don't. I don't want to say that out loud. I mean, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I'll wink. I'll blink twice for yes. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'm a little torn. You know that, and um, I, I just, I, I don't know. At, at, at what, to what degree are we going to get rid of sports by doing this? I, I mean, I, I don't know how deep does it go, as far as cutting programs. But do you even have to cut programs? I mean, does it matter if some kids on some teams are getting money and some kids on some teams are not getting money? No, I know. I mean, it's not like people at Fox Sports are getting paid the same as some people at ESPN, and some people are getting paid more at other. It's, I mean, it's the free market yeah. then, right? Yeah, it's just sad. I'm, I guess I'm just a, I'm just an old man who's used to the way things. You know, you're I, just used to 18 to 22 year olds being exploited. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, for my enjoyment, for my enjoyment. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed, uh, you know, those watching those Georgetown Hoya teams of the 80s develop over a four year period, and then. Um, you know, now you get to see a kid for one year, and it, I, I don't know. I guess that for, and I'm being honest here, that that for me, the nostalgia part of that, I, I miss the fact that kids were exploited. Uh, yeah, we're, we're not going <laughs> to doubt that, but I'm, I'm, you know, Patrick Ewing seemed to, he, he did all right. He I did, mean, all, but but take a guy like Zion, right? I mean, who every time he lands seems to hurt himself, yeah. right? So if he's not able to come out after his freshman year. Does he get that payday, or does he really hurt himself significantly during his four years that his value at the end of his time at Duke is negligible? That's life, I guess. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. I mean, it doesn't. I, yeah, I don't know. But the other ninety-nine But but also you could. But but does that does allowing this allow that to make potentially happen a little more? I'm not saying with the superstars. There's no way a guy like Zion is staying. But a guy. You know, that's a borderline first-round pick that's probably going to go after his freshman or sophomore year. If he's able to make a couple hundred thousand dollars in college by signing a shoe deal or signing a deal with the local pizza place or doing some autograph signings or thing like that, does that allow him to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to stay in school for an extra year? Not because, like, nobody's turned down $15 million, right? But those borderline guys that might get cut and have to go play in the the G League or overseas or something like that. Does that do they say, hey, you know, I'm going to stay because I can make a hundred thousand dollars here. I can improve my draft status by playing another year in college, and then I can go. Yeah, no, I, I I'm okay with it there, and, and it's funny because I see it at both ends. Like I see your point there with maybe a kid uh, being able to stay another year because you know they do have some income coming in, but I also think the NCAA has to get rid of the rule in basketball. Um, or the NBA. Oh, it's the NBA rule. It's they, the NBA they, policy. Yeah, they've got to work with the NBA because I have to believe there was a little bit of collusion there. Uh, oh, that never happens. They have to get rid of that rule. That rule is absolutely ridiculous because if your belief is that um, you, you know somehow you're benefiting these kids by forcing them to experience one year of college, um, it's just goofy. I mean, they're they're not they're not experiencing a year of college, not a year of college. A year of college basketball is all they're experiencing, because in the classroom there's really no reason for them even to put any effort into it. Uh, I mean, well, because technically they could fail every single class and still play every single game, yeah. right? Because you can be on academic probation for a semester and still compete. So if you fail all your classes your first semester, 
you're on academic probation your second semester, and then the season ends before the second yeah. semester ends. Yeah, so I, I, I don't, I don't get what that's. Well, I get what that's all about, but I don't, I, you know, get rid of that. Yeah, that, I would agree. You know, I would agree. All right. So, well, we'll see. We'll see what comes of it. There's a I, lot, think, of, a lot of interesting stuff. Professors should be paid more money, and we should be able to, you know. Well, that's yeah, that's a given, right? <laughs> All that we generate. Uh, well, so I mean, we're the ones that make them eligible to play. <laughs> Wait, oh, wow! You know, if they're not in our class, taking our classes and learning, then they're just there for basketball. No, well, they can still fail and and be eligible as long mm-hmm. as they're going after one year. So, uh, football players, it's a little tougher though, right? Like they gotta stay for three years. You gotta you got that three years after graduation yeah. rule. So with Denver coming up and you have the former quarterback from Arkansas that I don't know if anyone had heard of prior to this week unless you were at the University of Arkansas playing on that team uh, <laughs> Brandon Allen sixth round pick uh number 201st overall uh, 2016 draft drafted by the Jags and we guys we can't make fun of six round picks right because Tom Brady and all that yeah, stuff yeah, right so uh, right you know but yeah okay one guy out of uh, the history of the NFL so now we officially can't make fun of six round picks but we're gonna say is this a lucky break for the Browns not that I'm a huge Joe Flacco fan I think he's been historically overrated for his entire career but he's not Brandon Allen or Brandon Allen is not Joe Flacco I don't know how that would work um <laughs> But did the Browns catch a break this week in Denver? I, you know, I, I hope they're not looking at it that way um, because I feel like this could be one of those those trap games, if you will. I, I mean, it, they, they have to. I hate, uh, you hate using the term must win, but I think this is a, as close to a quote-unquote must win um, on, on their schedule as you can get to because if they lose this game, I think the confidence in the locker room is gone. Like, it's gone. Freddie Kitchens will lose that locker room. You, you know, the, the thing that's kind of concerned me is, um, you know, I know there was some talk about maybe us bolstering the offensive line at the, uh, at the trade at deadline. The trade that deadline didn't do anything else. Which didn't happen. The, the problem I'm seeing here is what, what we need to decide. What is the window? Like, if I'm... If, if I'm John Dorsey, I gotta figure out what's the window. What is our window of opportunity to get this thing right? Because if we don't get it right this season, and we go into next season, now that window is sh- it's shrinking one more year, right? If we don't get it right next season, God forbid, or if, I mean, what what do we say? We go eight and eight next year. If if we happen to go less than eight and eight this year, what, when are, when are these stars, quote unquote, gonna start looking somewhere else? I mean, I almost get the feeling if you if you read the um, you know the media and you watch just the actions uh, of the guys in the locker room, I already feel like there's some people that have already started packing up their stuff. I mean, we live in this microwave society where it's uh, you know instant gratification, and I, I feel like when you bring in guys who are into the me 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 culture, and now all of a sudden they're not winning and they're not getting the ball and they're not putting up the numbers they thought they were going to put up. They're going to start looking elsewhere. But aren't those two things different things? The me, me, me and the the instant, right? Because, I mean, we're looking at at Freddie to be instantly productive as a head coach. Uh, and I, I don't think that's going to change anyway. I think that's no. sports, yeah. right? I think that's the business that they're operating in is that production is demanded immediately. There is not a timeline for that. But there's a difference, I think, between that and the, the me, me, me. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would agree with you there, but I, I, I think if if 
we were to lose, God forbid, this game in Denver, <laughs> this thing starts to spiral out of control. Because now you're going to have people questioning, what, well, how good is John Dorsey? I mean, you know, we talk about him as a talent evaluator. Well, you know, part of the talent evaluation is he deemed that this person was good enough to be the head coach. As far as a talent evaluator, he was the one who deemed that we could go get a star wide receiver, bring him in here. He would instantly mesh and we would take off like a rocket ship. You know, we have taken off like a rocket ship, but they, you know, one of those Russian ones that gets like six feet off the launch pad and then it just starts to blow up from the bottom all the way up to the top. Um, it, it, and that's just, once that starts happening, now all of a sudden you're going to have guys that are looking to go elsewhere. Not just, not just players, but personnel. And now all of a sudden this thing starts to crumble. And, and what are you left with? I mean, essentially you're going to be left with the players that um, aren't good enough to go somewhere else or don't have contracts that are favorable to... Well, I think, you know, I think you're okay from a contract standpoint with the majority of the starters on the roster at this point for having them for next year. Um, outside of that, right, I mean, almost all NFL contracts are essentially three-year deals, um, even for star players, right? So teams can get out of them pretty easily after that third year. Uh, and I don't think we have too many guys on on crazy contracts like that. So so they should be fine in, in terms of keeping or moving whoever they feel like keeping or moving. The, the thing goes back to your point is, is John Dorsey that great of a talent evaluator? And the, the jury's still out uh, on that. We don't know. Yes, obviously you can say, well, you know, he was the guy that drafted Patrick Mahomes uh, in Kansas City and he signed all of those guys that were that offensive talent that – or that team right now so there's a, a strong base for that the flip side is you do have that he did make the freddy kitchens call that call at this point is a little dubious i didn't necessarily wholeheartedly support it but i didn't necessarily wholeheartedly disagree with it at the time um it's it's looking a little worse week by week the team is gonna have to put up a strong showing in denver they're a three-point favorite on the road that's i think largely due to the fact that denver is starting a rookie quarterback that essentially has never thrown an NFL pass. <laughs> and, and the Browns are three-point favorites. And if you're looking at some of the other teams, right, what type of favorite do you think the Patriots would be coming into this game, right? I mean, this, and you, you talk about Brandon Allen, you don't have a lot to go on, so you're looking at, okay, well, what's his senior season like at Arkansas? I'm looking at it right now. They were 8-5, and five, right, 7-5 and five during the regular season, and they won their bowl game. Um, they did beat two ranked teams that year in that they beat Ole Miss. Uh, they beat them 53-52. to 52. <laughs> So that was an interesting game there, right? Just piling up the, uh, the points. And then they beat LSU. Uh, they put up 31 points on an LSU team that was a top-10 team that year. However, that season they also lost to Toledo. I mean, let's not I mean, discount Toledo. An I mean, SEC team year for Toledo that year. put up uh, 12 <laughs> points and lost to Toledo. I mean, they were 10-2 and two that year, so I'll give it to, to Toledo from that standpoint. But Toledo also did lose to two other MAC teams um, that year where they lost to Northern Illinois and Western Michigan. So I don't even know what to expect out of this guy. <laughs> Typical well, it, it, rookie. Think, but that's the dangerous thing, right? I mean, if you don't have a book on a guy, I, I, I mean, you can see – I mean, we see that last year from Baker Mayfield. I mean, when, when teams didn't have a book on a guy, um, he was able to run wild. Now that guys have a book on the guy, um, maybe not so much. Um, you know, I don't know. And to get back to the Freddie thing, I think I think the whole Freddie being the head coach, 
I think that's almost like a, uh, it's like a LeBron James deal, right? Or uh, LeBron James esque deal, where you're allowing, you're allowing your star player to determine who you're going to make as the head coach. Um, and I, I really think that's why Freddie was picked, because, you know, he was favorable to Baker. Um, you, you look at our backup; he's favorable to Baker. You listen to, you know, the people out in the public right now. I think I've I've heard several times two two um, names have been floated. One completely ridiculous, the even even more ridiculous. Um, I actually heard I've I've heard several people say, well, they should bring John Harbaugh in here. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? Like th- like this place isn't crazy enough. But the other name that's been floated, like John or Jim. Because I don't think John's leaving Baltimore, right? Yeah, no, no. Jim, Jim, yeah. the um, yeah. world's worst college coach per dollar. Um, but anyhow, the other name that's been floated is Lincoln Riley, and I just have to laugh. It's like, are, are you really willing to go that all in on this kid? Are we, are we really drinking that much Baker Mayfield Kool-Aid that we would go in that direction and bring a Lincoln Riley in here? I just... I just have to giggle when you hear that. and um... Well, and I think you made the point the other day, you know, as we were having a conversation, that Chud was the one, right? They they punted on Chubb way t- or Chudzinski way too quickly, and I think that was the guy. And unfortunately for him, he hasn't even got another shot because the stink of the Browns is kind of on him. But they keep hiring coaches with no head coaching experience. And – I'm not necessarily an advocate that you have to go to the retread every single time, but to never get a coach that has had previous head coaching experience is consistently setting yourself up for failure, especially when you don't have organizational stability, right? If you're the Steelers and okay, you go to Cowher and then you, you want, right? There was a, (laughs) there was stability in that organization when he was brought in. Right. And then Tomlin takes the role from him. Right? There was stability in that organization. You're coming into an organization that doesn't have stability. You have a first-time head coach time after time after time after time. Yeah. Well, Why not go to the well where, hey, maybe somebody wasn't as successful. right? And don't give me the Hugh Jackson. Right? Oh, you had head coaching experience. One season at 8-8 eight and eight in Oakland. 8-8 oh, eight, eight, right? eight, eight, Yeah, 8-8. Eight, eight. Oh, man. You know, I... I <laughs> I'd rather have a guy that has a less than 500 record that had maybe multiple years in the role. Well, you know, the reality is they had that guy in Greg Williams. And I was probably one of the biggest um, critics of Greg Williams when we originally brought him in here. But if you look at the second half of that season last year, Greg Williams did a great job getting that that ship straightened and and getting us to some wins. And, you know, the funny thing is, you know... Listen to somebody, and I never thought of this until I had a, a fan uh, mention it last week. When you think about Freddie Kitchens and you think about last season, Freddie Kitchens started out as the running backs coach, okay? Running backs coach. Wasn't the quarterbacks coach, wasn't the offensive coordinator. You bring in Todd Haley. Todd Haley brings in his playbook. They install his playbook, okay? Baker Mayfield is running his playbook, <laughs> They go through the season, have a rough patch, obviously, to start the season, but it's a brand-new playbook, brand-new offense for the team, okay? They go ahead and they fire Hugh halfway through. They put Greg in as head coach. They get rid of Haley, and then they bring Freddie in to run the offense, to run Todd Haley's offense. Because you can't tell me from the time 
Haley was fired to three days later when we had a game. Oh, no, it, it's all the whole new playbook. Yeah, yeah. Right. It, it, so, so basically, essentially, Freddie used that playbook to get us through the end of the year. That, that playbook that they had installed last year. So now when I hear people say, I don't understand why we look so different than we did last year. Well, think about it. They're not. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not using Todd Haley's playbook this year, which is unfortunate. Yeah, you know, and, and that all goes back to the, you know, thinking you're smarter, thinking you're gonna you're gonna make a move that nobody else would think of. You know, we're gonna we're gonna bring in Freddie Kitchens. This is a you know this isn't a move that's uh, you know conventional. We're gonna go in a way where where now we're appeasing our quarterback who may or may not be our quarterback in two three. And now I'm you know I hate to. But, he, you know, the reality is, for us to say this guy is going to be our guy for the next 20 years, it's just ridiculous if you look at our last 20 years. I mean, to, to buy into that this quickly is just, I don't get it. But but think about that, though. I mean, here's Freddie Kitchens, one year removed from being a running backs coach, is now the head coach. I mean, typically it's a coordinator. When you talk about Tomlin, he's a great defensive coordinator who gets promoted. Not, not the, uh, you know, secondary coach. I mean, it, you know, like I said, I don't feel like he was groomed enough. I mean, there's a reason why guys get promoted and get groomed before they get a head coaching job. Like I said, I, I find myself in an awkward position defending uh, Greg Williams because I, I'm not a big fan, but you cannot deny the fact that he had that team headed in the right direction. And it was the same thing with Chudzinski. Chud had this team, you know, his, his season was flipped though, right? I mean, he had a hot start and then we had a ton of injuries and oh my God, we had injuries and we lost. Well, then we got to get rid of this guy. Right, because how could he lose when you know you've got all these injuries? He should have won all those games. And so here's a guy that a young guy had the whole building behind him, had his headed in the right direction, and because of Joe Banner and the decision that he made, and he, you know he had all, all these. Uh, I'm gonna well, maybe we'll bring in Gruden, maybe we'll bring in uh, you know we'll bring in the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Andy Reid, and the whole staff because they're my friends. Those people, none of those people even came for an interview let alone came <laughs> to be the head coach. So it, it's so you ended up throwing our future out the window, and since then it spiraled out of control. And I will tell you what, you talked about um, you know getting rid of a guy early, <clears throat> Chudzinski not having an opportunity to get a head coaching job since. Norv Turner said it best. The day after they fired him, he went in and told Jimmy Haslam that you just screwed that kid's career. You just messed that kid's career up by letting him go. And, and Norv left. You know, which once again, you know, what are your chances of getting a reputable head coach here after the history of all the coaches that you've that have? Well, good they're names they're there. You know what you have to do though? You have to invest in dollars. Oh, you're gonna. I mean, that's the thing. You're, yeah, then that's fine. Yeah. But at this point, if this team doesn't finish 500 this year, seven and nine at worst. If they only win six games, it's almost sad, and I would ne I would rarely, if ever, endorse it. You know, I thought. What Arizona did last year with with Steve Wilkes was was unfair, but in this situation, I I can't imagine that the organization could let it slide. And I and I agree with you in the sense that I just don't feel like he had enough background in putting together game plans, managing all of those pieces that go into place. And I don't think it necessarily has to be an offensive or defensive coordinator. I think a lot of times people forget special teams. Like if you're coaching special teams, you're running your own unit. Yeah. I look at that as a third coordinator. Yeah. So any special teams coach I could see. But yeah, specific position coaches, it's it's almost impossible to move from that level to the head coach level without 
any well, kind of intermediary role. Yeah, well, and the, and the beauty of a, a special team, a lot of people don't look at it this way, but beauty of a special teams coordinator is you get to work with some of the elite people on both sides. Um, you're working with both offense and defensive people, and um, you, you know, and you, you're also a guy that's not every day screaming and yelling at a player. So it's a lot easier. They they tend to be the guy that people go to. Yeah. You know, kind of cry on their shoulder a little bit. But um, yeah, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of getting rid of guys after one year. And I, but you know, two things are glaring to me. Look at this. In this was pointed out in the broadcast. Look at the size of our coaching staff right now. In what we're getting for that in return, compared to Bill Belichick, I think they said Belichick had 14 coaches. We got 26. And then the other thing, when you talk about him being prepared, that game last week, that was after a bye. So we literally had that's what you get after two weeks of preparing for that game. That's what you get, and and that's an extra week of working on. Hey, what are the things that are killing us? The penalty, like for a whole week, penalties and turnovers. Yeah. Hey, Tony, it's I easy. Mean, I mean, it's only taken us uh, seven or eight weeks to even uh, think about them. I mean, if anything, you go back to the. I mean, I don't know if they're doing this in the building or not, but go back to the high school mentality where you got guys walking around with a ball in their hand and uh, you charge everyone <laughs> in the building to try to knock it out. I mean, you've got to do something to break this up because if you keep getting double-digit penalties every week. I don't care who you are. You're not going to win games. You're not going to win games. You're not going to win. You're not going to win games against good teams. No. You might beat a, a Bengals or a Dolphins, yeah. right? And you might get your five wins that way. Yeah. But you're definitely not beating the Patriots with yeah. double-digit penalties. No. And you're not beating anybody realistically with a winning record. No. Because teams you, with winning records not, don't have double-digit penalties. Yeah, you're not going to win either when you're, you're, you know, minus two on turnovers against the team. I mean, that's generally, especially when you're fumbling on the five-yard line going in. Yeah. Um, all right, all right. So let's 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 move to Denver. Just a quick kind of wrap-up here. We haven't talked too much about it. We talked a little bit about it. Their defense is, has stars but hasn't necessarily lived up to the hype. Sounds a little familiar. Uh, <laughs> Their offense, people probably expected a little more from them. So, man, wow, this team looks oddly familiar, Tony. Um, and they have some orange in their uniforms. and uh, So Denver is, in my opinion, almost a mirror image of Cleveland, right? Some yeah. really talented players on the defensive side of the ball that are, are playing, not gangbusters, but are playing okay. But the offense just has not stepped up for them has let them down with turnovers and just poor play calling. Browns are three-point favorites. Who do you got? What's the score? And and why do you got who you got? I, I, I think the Browns should win. And they if they if they win, I, I see a double digit. Um, I, I, I have to believe, you know, here I am again, right? It, you know, using emotion to make my decisions here. I just have to believe after last week, the professionals, the the veterans in that locker room have got to be embarrassed about where they are right now. And I would hope that this week during practice, they are making a point to make sure that everyone is paying attention to detail. And if that happens, then we should be able to go into Denver, win the game by double digits. Um, but you know, if we have, I will. I, I want to. I want to do two picks. <laughs> if we do have double digit penalties. And we lose the turnover, we will lose. We will lose the game. Uh, I, I, I don't what if we just have double dip? What if the, say the turnover battle is neutral? Then we then we don't cover. 
they still win? They still win, but we don't cover. Okay, so they win by le- three yeah. or less. So you get a push or, yeah. or something less. Okay. Um, I, I don't necessarily see it going that well either way. I think with the with the rookie quarterback, I give the Browns a little bit more of an edge. I think they're going to win by you know five or six. I'm going to say the Browns will win regardless, and, and largely due to... Denver just having the rookie quarterback back there who's never played a game. I don't. I, I don't care if you don't have a book on him. A, a guy that has not seen live NFL game reps is gonna be not great, shall we say? And that's that's just an opinion. It, some guys do come in their first game and they light it up. I, I just don't think this guy's that guy. If he was, I think he would have been in the mix before now. It's not like they just drafted him last year. He's been in the league for several seasons. He hasn't seen regular season reps. There's a reason for that. So I'm going to say, and it's not like he's been talked about like Aaron Rodgers, right? Like this guy, we're grooming him for the, you know, the future, (laughs) right? So I, I just don't think the Browns are great enough from an execution standpoint to really push it to double digits. I hope they do, but I'm saying somewhere, um, they're going to cover, so you know, you know, I said five to six. So give me, give me four to seven. Okay, and and that's where the Browns will be. Here, here's the funny thing: the, the key to them winning is going to be running Chubb again, and, and and getting his confidence back into being able to run and, and not fumble the ball. Yeah. Right? So let's say Chubb has a great game, just the, you know, hundred plus yards, doesn't fumble the ball, gets a couple touchdowns. You know, the, the beautiful thing about that, the very Browns esque thing about that is, what do we got? happening in the next couple weeks you've got to get your you finally got your running back on track and then what's going to happen we've got another running back coming to the <laughs> offense who's going to be demanding carries and i mean he's a guy that um obviously he's a talker too if you will um he's going to get added to the mix and, and that scares me that that really truly scares me i, I almost you know in my head i was seeing that as a piece where maybe when we get to the trade deadline that's somebody we dangle in a trade just to make sure that we don't muddy up our nobody, locker room. Nobody wants him with that history. I mean, um, come on. But you could have got someone, I think. No. no. Raiders? They, they, would have, they, they would have been earlier. They would have taken him when he was yeah, available. I, but I just I just think that's going to be, you know, that's my, uh, you know, to be uh, Nostradamus, uh, if, if you will. I just see that as the next, that's the next thing. That's the next piece of drama here. We're, we're finally going to get uh, Chubb. Um, you know, on track, and then we're gonna we're gonna derail our own train. Well, see, and I think that's I, I could see it going that way. I think that's where you find out what type of leadership you actually have from a coaching staff standpoint and and from a player standpoint, yeah. because I think he could be an additive piece that really allows this offense to then open up, which will then provide bigger holes for Chubb and he'll realize hey you know what I may not be getting 20 touches but you know what my contact point is not you know a half a yard past the line of scrimmage it's a it's a yard and a half past the line of scrimmage because we have so many more different things that we can do within our offense so hey I might not be getting as many carries but I'm getting just as many yards my yards per carry are going crazy so that's going to earn me the money yeah I'm hoping that's what happens I could see definitely what you say happening but i think that's where you're really going to find out what type of leadership exists on the coaching staff and in the locker room and that's and that's fine because that's what you need to find out yeah and that's what you need to find out going into realistically 2020 because 2019 they're not making the playoffs this year i mean 
know. <laughs> I guess we have all these chump teams. We can win. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Again, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can find us at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, and at Believe Podcast, at B-L-E-A-V Podcast on Twitter. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Thanks again for tuning in, Browns backers. I'm Chuck Campisi with Tony Dick, and this is Believe in the Browns, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Go Browns. Chuck, Chuck. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.